welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Take your Bibles and please open up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and we're going to uh, pick up with verse 6. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Title of tonight's message is The Journey Continues. Like Paul, you and I are on a journey through this life on our way to the kingdom of heaven. And there's a lot of twists and turns in that journey, as we know. As we go through, you might have been through a lot today. And God calls you out, led you here by the Holy Spirit or listening on the internet to get into his word as a congregation, as a body of Christ. Notice in verse 6, he says, So he, trembling, astonished, and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now what has taken place is Saul who we also know as Paul, is going to Damascus in Syria to bring back Jewish believers in the Messiah. To bring them to trial. To persecute them. And on the way to Damascus, he meets someone. And that someone is no other than Jesus Christ. Knocks him down. You know, sometimes the Lord's going to lower us to get our attention. And boy, did he get Saul's attention. When Saul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You know, when we get into God's word... He tells us things. In this verse, he gives Saul a command. That command is to arise and go. But he also gives him direction. He tells him to go into the city. 
And then he gives him further instructions. You will be told what you must do. That same God is the same God you and I serve. He gives us commands. He gives us direction. And he gives us instructions. The problem is, do we have ears to hear? Do we have eyes to see? And unfortunately, most people do not. They don't. I'm sure all of us here have had to make big decisions in our life. And we turn to God for the answers for those big decisions. Or we should. Maybe there's people here or listening or watching on the internet that are looking for God. They're not, just, they're not sure who he is. They're searching. They're seeking. Some people might be asking, what does God want me to do? They're looking for direction. They're looking for instruction. Some people might be asking, what is my purpose? Why am I here? The hard thing for you and I as human beings is we like to see the big picture. Where God usually reveals things to us one step at a time. That's his nature. That's his character. William Shakespeare in Hamlet says, there's a line Hamlet uh, says, to be or not to be. Now Hamlet is questioning the value of life and asking himself whether it's worthwhile hanging in there. He's extremely depressed at this point and he's fed up with everything in the world around him And he is contemplating putting an end to himself. Like Paul, we are human beings, not human doings. And God gets our attention to change our direction. Maybe there's something you're going through right now. Maybe there is a person here or out there in internet land that is contemplating ending their lives. We know that God speaks and directs his people to hear things that they're dealing with, that they're going through. Why did God create us and what does he want us to be? In the first book of the Bible, the first chapter, Genesis, which means in the beginning, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, doing something is the result of being someone. Our hearts are revealed by what we do. The image we portray comes out in our words, our actions, 
our lifestyle. Whose image do you portray? Other humans? The world image that it wants you to conform to? Or the image of Jesus? His love, his mercy, his behavior. As believers, we are new creatures in Christ. The old is gone, but it'll try to resurface, right? It'll try to pop up its ugly head. But the new is here. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, Christ in you. As pastors, we are called to equip you. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ." from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That is our ministry, to build you up, to equip you, to love one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's your ministry to touch other lives, both here and out there. It's no coincidence that the worship team sang some songs tonight that have a lot of things that are in this message tonight. And we never talk to pastors or the elders with the worship leader or the team with what they're going to play. But believe me, the Holy Spirit works through the music as well as God's word. Trying to break down the barriers of humanness that clog our ears and blind our eyes from seeing the things that God wants to tell us. Because he always wants to speak to us. We don't always want to listen because we're stubborn, we're hard-headed. But God wants us to have a broken spirit. A spirit that is dependent on him. A spirit that he fixes, not that we create in ourselves. To have a strong spirit. We need to be broken in order for God to have his spirit put in us. He wants our hearts to be broken. He wants our hearts to be sorrowful. For not only for what we have done in the past... But we should be rejoicing in what he has, is, and is going to continue to do in our life. But we also want to have the heart of Christ 
that feels sorrow for the things that are going on in the world that are touching and breaking God's heart. We want to be able to see things through his eyes. But the problem in the Christian church is people are still looking at things through their eyes, through their emotions, through their feelings, and it clouds what God through his Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you as his daughter, as his child. We get caught up in things that hold us down from being used by God. He wants our love and desire and to keep getting to know him more and more. You can never know him enough. It doesn't matter how many times you read through the scriptures. It doesn't matter how many songs you sing. You can never know the eternal God, but yet that eternal God always wants to reveal himself to you. Are you in a humble place to always be receiving or are you distracted by the things that are going on in the world or in your life? It's a very important question to ask yourself. Are you in the same place you were 20 years ago? You shouldn't be. Are you growing from yesterday? Have you grown since this morning in the things of God? If not, why not? He wants our loyalty. He wants our faithfulness. God wants us to wait on him continually. To trust him. In the second part of verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. That command, arise and go. That direction, go into the city. That instruction, you will be told what you must do, takes obedience. Obedience is huge. Doesn't matter if you read God's word. Doesn't matter if you understand God's word. You have to obey it. You have to do it. Scripture says obedience is better than sacrifice. Jesus gives many commands in his word. Throughout the whole scripture, there's a lot of commands. Some people think they're optional. But they're commands. In Matthew 26, verses 37 to 39, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many times have you and I heard verses 37 and 38 and 39 of Matthew 26? I bet a lot. The question is, are we obedient to every aspect of those three? If you're like me, we got a long way to go. Right? We got a long way to go. But thank God for his Holy Spirit in us. The question is, how much do you allow God's Holy Spirit? To work in you. In Matthew 28, 
18 to 19. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's a command. How many of us do that? How many of us have that passion to do that? To follow through with that command? And if not, what are those things that are distracting us from doing that? I can tell you in one letter what distracts me. I. And same thing to you. The letter I. That's what keeps God's spirit from strongly flowing through each one of us. And it doesn't have to be that way. It does not. In verse 7, it says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now the name Saul means desired. What is your desire? What's your desire? What's your spiritual desire? Do the things that you strive for in this world line up with your spiritual desire or are they opposed to each other? Are you double-minded? Are you unstable in everything you do? Because it's a tug of war in your heart. Saul names means desired as we know him as Paul. That name Paul means small or little. Before Saul came to Damascus, he wasn't small or little. He was big and bad. He was going after the believers, the followers of the way, the Christians, because he thought they were enemies of the God he served. He was in a religion that he thought was 100% correct. But as we're going to see tonight, he wasn't born again yet. He didn't have the spirit of the living God in him. How much of his religion was him? Or man's? Or tradition? But when God showed his love so much for Paul that he knocked him down, the big Saul became a little Paul. And it's when we are little in our own eyes that God can use us mightily to humble ourselves before the Lord. And he'll lift us up. But you know what? When we try to lift up ourselves, it's not good. There's a fall coming. There are times only God can help you and me. No one else 
can understand some of the things we go through sometimes. Only God can. Sometimes we're blessed because others have been through similar things and we can find comfort in their experiences. But our first seeker or seeking comfort should come from none other than Jesus himself. He wants us to cast all our worries, our cares, our burdens on him. God lowers us so we can view things with a real vision rather than a fantasy vision. Have you ever been there? Have you been there where things in your world have been fantasy until something happened in your life and then you started seeing things with real vision? And we want to have God's vision. That's a prayer. Lord, give me your vision. Give me your eyes so I can look at people the way you look at them. Not the way my corrupt heart looks at them, but the way your heart looks at them. Change my heart to look at them the way you do. This was the first time Paul had no sight in his life. Paul went from arrogance to humility. He went from uh, confidence to worry, anxiety, and fear. He went from self-direction to dependence. And we know in his letters, later on, he was content in all things, right? He wasn't content yet. This was the beginning of that journey. Remember, you and I are on a similar journey. Very similar journey. And God is trying to get our attention. Like Paul, sometimes we need to be led by others and not take the lead. That takes humility. To be led by others, even though you would like to be in the lead. We see here a time in those three days of prayer. He didn't want to eat. I'm sure it became a fasting and time of prayer for Paul. But it was also training. He was being trained in God's boot camp. You ever feel like you're in God's boot camp? (laughs) you ever feel like you're digging spiritual holes (laughs) Saul thought he knew who God was and what pleased him he thought he knew who God was and what pleased him for three days Saul was dying to himself Think of three days in the scripture. What comes after three days? A resurrection. Saul was dying to himself for three days. He didn't see anything. Didn't want to eat. Didn't know what was going to happen. God didn't reveal his whole plan to Saul. It was still going to be revealed. 
He was dying to himself. So Jesus could resurrect him. So Jesus could give him new life. If you're going through something, hang in there. Take one step at a time. One step. In verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, Ananias, we don't know much about this guy. We know he was a disciple. We don't know really what his background was. We never hear from him again. But boy, what a part he played in Paul, who we can look back and see how God used him mightily and still is using him in the letters of the New Testament. You see, you don't have to be somebody special to be used by the Lord. Just somebody who is humble and open. That's it. And just trust trust in the Lord. Being a follower of Christ, being a disciple of Christ, it's so cool. It's an adventure. Ananias, his name means whom Jehovah has graciously given. Boy, how apropos that is in this situation. Whom Jehovah has graciously given. Boy, what grace is being shown Saul by having him connect with Ananias. But what great grace is being shown Ananias in hooking up with Paul. God loves using people. He loves using you guys and girls in his kingdom adventures. Because you never know, right? We don't know all the time what's going to happen tonight when we leave this church or after service. We don't know what's going to take place tomorrow. But God does. And he's trying to prepare our hearts to be ready for those moments of use. Notice 
in the, uh, the beginning verses that I just read here in 10, that he gave Ananias a vision. And it was a vision about Paul's vision. How cool is that? He explained Paul's vision in Ananias' vision. You can never put our God in a box, how he's going to try to get things across to you. Because he knows what it takes to get your attention. Then, Ananias, like every disciple should say when they're called by the Lord, here I am, Lord. You see, sons and daughters of the king say that. Here I am. Use me. What do you need me to do, Lord? And we see that Saul was praying. He was seeking. He was communicating with God. That's what prayer is. God was revealing to him through a vision of this guy. This man coming to put his hands on him so he could see again. God can speak to us through his word. He can speak to us through other people. He can speak to us through situations. But in these last days, besides all that, he chose to speak to us through his son. How much are you getting to know his son? Through his word. Jesus is the word of God. You got to hang out with Jesus. You got to hang out with him. 24-7, 365, and be an empty vessel. Be an empty vessel instead of a crack pot. Let him fill you with only him. If you don't, you're just a crack pot. Everything you try to put in is just going to leak out. It's going to stink. Notice Ananias here in those verses communicates with God's Uh, with God, his concerns about Saul. Because he knows Saul's background. He knows what Saul was doing. But Ananias also hears God say how Saul is a chosen vessel. And he lays out briefly what Saul's calling is. Notice. To lift up and carry Jesus to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the Jewish people. That's what Saul's ministry was going to be. Now notice, Saul is praying. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't I? We don't have our eyesight. We just had an encounter with Jesus three days ago. And we don't know what's going to happen next. Pastor David Guzik, in his commentary about Saul praying, says his prayers were more mechanical than spiritual up to this time. He was a traditionalist praying. Probably repetitive prayers. Saul had never prayed with Jesus as the mediator. This is the first time he's praying using Jesus. He had not prayed with a humble heart 
And he was never really near to God. He thought he was. But the only way you can get near to God, the Father, is through his son, Jesus. There's no other way. Saul had said many prayers, but he had never truly prayed until he was humbled, until he was in that position that the only where, the only place he could go, the only place he could look was up. You ever been there? Notice at the end of that, uh, some of those passages, it says, notice Paul is going to go through suffering. During World War II, the German secret police approached a Romanian pastor named Joe Ton and told him to renounce his sermons that were published in print and were on radio broadcast. The pastor boldly said, I cannot do that. To which the SS guard said, don't you realize I can use force against you? And the pastor replied, let me make this very clear. Your weapon is killing. My weapon is dying. If you kill me, everything I've ever done for Jesus will be sealed in my blood. And my audience will grow stronger and wider. So do what you have to do. The SS decided he would be of more harm dead than alive and left him alone. Paul said it best from a Roman prison as he wrote a letter to the believers in Philippi. Paul knew his suffering was happening to further the good of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. His afflictions strengthened his walk with Jesus and his witness for Jesus. In Philippians 1.21, it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your life, my life, like Paul's, are to bring glory to God. And we can do that in the best and the most horrific of times. We are to be lights that shine in a dark world. A world that is filled with sin and filled with death. Like the Romanian pastor or Paul the Apostle, even death can bring God glory. Notice Ananias calls Saul brother in verse 17. What a change of heart. In Ananias, once he got God's word, he disobeyed. He trusted. And he went to Saul and he laid hands on him and called him brother. What did that do to Saul? Remember, three days. Three days. Just in darkness. He couldn't see. But he felt the touch and the love of someone who God told was going to come. Not just a man. He gave him the man's name. 
Paul, again, or Saul, got his sight back, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, all of us see things in a different light when we allow God's Holy Spirit to open up our eyes. Lord, open up my eyes. Help me to see wonderful things in your word. Help me to see those things in this world you want me to see. As soon as Ananias did this, immediately the scriptures say that scales that were covering his eyes, they were like peeled off. And he arose and he was baptized, had his sight back. Now, Saul demonstrated what had happened in his heart over the last few days. He popped right up. He was ready to be baptized. Ananias didn't say anything about baptism. How would Saul come to this? Well, remember where Saul came from. He had seen Christians being baptized. He had seen Jews being baptized. He knew about John the Baptist and what he did. God put that on his heart during those three days. He confirmed it. He went from unusable by God to usable by God. He was hungry in more ways than one. Yes, physically he was famished. He hasn't eaten in three days. But he had a hunger for the things of God. How's your hunger? I know most of us when we leave here are going to eat. Food, we're going to eat. But how is our spiritual hunger in relationship to when we're really hungry physically? Lord, give us a spiritual hunger that we always want more and more of you to take in. Then notice he spent time with the apostles in Damascus. It must have been a great Damascus conference, right, that they went to. It must have been awesome. Damascus, one of the meanings of the word is the well-watered land. Boy, I bet the, the water of the word was really going forth when they hung out together for those few days. Can you imagine the, everything that went on? I'm sure there were apostles there who says, I can't believe you saw that you were... At the, when Stephen was stoned, that you just stood there. And I'm sure Saul said, well, I can't believe he used guys like you. You were just fishermen. God can use everybody. It doesn't matter the background. In Ephesians 5, 26 to 27, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now that was also used in the context of marriage. But we are the bride of Christ. Everything that we're going through is to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to wash us by the water of the word. So that one day, God, Jesus, the God, the second person of the Trinity, will present us to his Father. 
holy and without blemish. That's the journey we're on. We're on that journey right now. As we close tonight, let's look at the last few verses. Verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and says, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. After the three-day conference, Saul went right to church, preaching right in the synagogues that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus was the revelation of God himself in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. The Jews that were present were both amazed and confused. But Saul increased in strength and so should we. Do you know that as you submit yourself to the things of God and to his word and to the filling of the Holy Spirit... You will gain strength in the things of the Lord. I believe Simeon and Anna had a strength that went beyond their years. I know Caleb did at 85. He was still taking mountains for the Lord. Saul confused the Jews, but the followers of Jesus were blown away as he proved Jesus was the Christ. Some churches today are doing away with the Old Testament, which is what Paul used to prove Jesus is the Messiah. In Luke 24, 27, that's the Emmaus Road, where Jesus is with two of his disciples who didn't recognize him after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Jesus started at Moses and all the prophets and explained to them all it said in the scriptures about him, the very scriptures that some churches want to eliminate. And there is a thing in the scriptures that says, don't add to or take away from God's word. I don't know if they read that part yet or not, but they're in deep trouble removing anything from God's word. The whole counsel of God is important, from Genesis to Revelation. And finally, in verse 23, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. There's always people who are going to be hateful against God and his word and his people. Always. Right up until the, when a, God releases Satan after a thousand years being bound in a chain. People are still going to be, have animosity against the creator. I want to give you three B's to finish with tonight. Number one, be brave. Always going to be opposition to the preaching of Christ. Until there's a new heavens and a new earth. So be brave. 
But God gives you that strength and that courage. Only he can do that. Second B, be in the Bible. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, Psalm 139, 16. The Bible. The basic instructions before leaving earth. Get ready. Always be ready to go. We could go at any second. Are you ready? Get ready. Last B. Don't be a basket case. We, like Paul, can trust God's word and not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make known your request to God. And finally, as we close, 1 Timothy 1, verse 13 and verse 16. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me... First, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.